Special thanks to everyone who pledged money to crowdfund the show this week, including Matt Lacey, David Walker, Tim Edwards, Zilliko Elia, Andy Hagen, Jamie Holland, Roland Roberts, Ian Wilkinson, Alistair Harding, Dan Laney, Ian Mercer and John Balshaw. There's a full list of our supporters on 361podcast.com, along with information on how to help us for as little as $1 per episode via Patreon. Hello and welcome to 361, a weekly podcast about mobile tech and the world around it. My name is Ben Smith. I'm Rafe Blanford. And I'm Ewan McLeod. This is Season 15, Episode 3, and this week we're launching our Cryptocurrency Challenge and talking about mobile security. We'll talk about the shady things that apps do, how big companies can steal your data, and how we're set to join the Bitcoin rush. Welcome back, chaps. How are you doing? Very well, thank you, Ben. And you? I'm very good. Thank you, Ray Bamford. You and McLeod. Hello, Copenhagen. Hello, London. What's the weather like in Copenhagen? Uh, it is genuinely getting rather dark here. Okay, dark. Still not a weather, but fascinating to know. Well, I'm just saying it is it's a bit colder, you know, getting dark. Okay, so... What happens in the as we get towards autumn and winter months? The nights are fair drawn in. It's not really yeah. a big piece of news, though. I don't feel that was particularly unpredictable. Northern Hemisphere still has autumn. Stay tuned in for the rest of the season to see if other things happen. the leaves are falling off the trees. Uh, oh, there you go. That's another thing that happens in the autumn. That's another thing that's going on, yeah. Lots of rain. Yeah, lovely. Good. Well, high-value content. Well done, everyone. Let's, let's carry this on. So, uh, how are you doing? Anything interesting happening at your end, you and McLeod? Uh, no, no, just running fast, running fast. Keen, keen to talk to you guys. Let's make it a good one. You've, uh, you've got, still got sporting the executive hair this week? No, so I'm going to cut on Saturday. Well quaffed. You've got a matching it's a jumper. Too, it's, a bit too, it's a bit too long. The hair and jumper match this week. Well, that's kind of you, thank you. But my, you can't see, I think, on the video, but my hair is really quite untidy, and I think people were looking today at work. That's unfortunate. I mean, I'm really interested to know what you're going to do about your massive current conundrum. And what is that? Well, as we're recording this, Apple relatively recently announced some new iPhones and knowing yes. you as I do, you obviously need to have the latest iPhone. But even yes. for you, getting an iPhone 8 and then replacing it two months later with an iPhone X, it strikes me oh. as a bit much. So, you know, are you going to be, for the next two months, one of those people who doesn't have the latest iPhone? Uh, oh, no, they don't even come out in Denmark. That's a shame. Oh, no. Oh, I tell you what, the big... No, I think they do. No, they do come out. They do. I didn't register for it, though. And the Apple Watch isn't available in Denmark. Yeah, I told you that was going to be a problem for him. The, the, that, that is that, annoying. Very Apple annoying. Well, you'll have to get a little red pen and just put a red dot on your, on your old Apple Watch <laughs> and then people will think you're part of the club. They just haven't, they obviously haven't enabled Denmark with the, the SIM thing. So I, I was tempted to get the UK, but I, I just don't want to complicate things. Okay, to answer your question, am I getting the eight? Well, do you know what? If I wasn't working in this, the, this specific sphere of digital I need to experience the 10 or the X. What was it the X or the 10? What are we calling it? We're saying 10, I think. 10, That's what oh, Tim right. instructed us to say. Oh, right, right, 10, right. I just think it's a ridiculous price now. I understand it's because blah, 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 screen. No, this is your thousand dream. Pounds. This is This is the one that what finally you makes you feel special. You remember the, the torrent of hate we had in when you said, <laughs> I want one that other people can't afford? <laughs> 
<laughs> no, that, that was in a different time, a different different season <laughs> years ago. Before you received the feedback and realised quite how unpopular <laughs> that view would um, make yeah. Right, no, I, you've got to be careful here because no, you, you, you can have buy to be careful, a I just have to fling mud. <laughs> no, you can buy a laptop, right? You can go and buy a MacBook cheaper than an iPhone. But no, a colleague of mine, Alvaro, Alvaro is a CIO of, uh, of Nordea and we were debating this and he, he actually made a very interesting point, which was, he said, even if it's a thousand euro pounds, whatever, it's worth it. And I said, come on. No, he's come right. On. He, he's dead right. He That's is right. why he's the boss. Right. Because his view was the return on investment. You're going to be using this device daily. It still is very expensive. I think I would probably be tempted ordinarily to go, mm, no, no, just, just wait. Wait until someone else has it, and then maybe think, oh, maybe I should get it. Blah, blah, blah. But I, I don't know if I would normally be first. I'm going to try and be quick with it because we are, have a particular interest. I have a particular interest in the Face ID. I want to know how that works. I'm a little bit bothered by it. How are you feeling about Face ID? Yeah, it's interesting because it normalizes facial recognition much in the way Touch ID did for fingerprint or the first iPhone did for capacitive touch. And that means that it's going to kind of get societal acceptance very quickly. And it's not just about identification. It's about the fact that it is effectively looking at your face and picking up a lot of clues. I mean, it's scanning 150 facial muscles. Therefore, it can get emotion information, at least in theory. I don't think I have 150 facial muscles. Uh, I should probably say expressions. And then it's also attention information. So your phone will have much greater. It's another context signal, right? And, you know, Mm. Apple probably will be quite good guardians of it because that's the way they deal with privacy and security. But you can easily imagine another phone getting to the point where actually your emotional state or your attention is offered up as an API to some e-commerce site and therefore it does differential pricing based on whether you're sad or not. And that's quite a dystopian view. I actually have to be optimistic because I think every time something like that has been added, it's improved the user experience. So I want to be more positive about it. For me, that was the big thing from the announcement, kind of shrinking down effectively what is that Microsoft Connect technology into the little chin that on the top of the device is remarkable. But that normalizing of that facial, emotional awareness, and we're suddenly going to get services that are aware of those things and change as a result of them. Well, can I ask you this question, both of you? Are you buying the Apple Watch with, with the thingy in it, with the, uh, the modem? And are you buying the 8 or the 10? Uh, no to the watch, yes to the 10. So I've stopped using my Apple Watch because circumstances are such that all my emails trapped inside secure boxes, like, you know, um, mm. inside uh, various corporate systems. And yeah. so I can't, most of the push notifications that used to make it so amazingly useful, you know, the, your calendar, you know, you're free until this time. It's literally on your watch mm. face mm. or this is a VIP notification because your customers just emailed you. I can't get that anymore. And as soon as I could, I'd go out and update my watch. But at the moment, I'm not using it because that. And obviously, you know that my fitness regime is already regulated by a team of scientists. I don't need a watch to... Exactly. You know, of course, exactly. Obviously. obviously. Yes. Phone, absolutely. Your CEO friend is, is dead right. I understand the sticker shock, but I will trade laptops and iPads I will give them up in order to have the phone because in the hierarchy, I want the best phone going. And if I only have a certain budget to spend, I'd rather not have a laptop or not have an iPad than not have a phone with all of that stuff on it. And I mean, I realize that's a very privileged position because there's many people who can't have an iPad and a phone or still couldn't afford that. But 
you know, in the fortunate position that we've all got multiple devices here and, and I'm happy to rebalance because when you say it costs more than a laptop, well, it does way more. It's like far and away more valuable to me. Mm-hmm. You know, laptop mm-hmm. doesn't do half that stuff and it doesn't go in my pocket all the time. I mean, well, but before the recording, Rafe and I were talking about, oh, you know, a cellular watch, you can use it when you leave your phone at home. I'm like, that's never, <laughs> you know, like, I literally, <laughs> that is, it literally is but never. You might want to do canoeing. You know, oh, well, that, that's it for me. You're not, I don't find myself regularly standing on a paddleboard in the middle of the lake thinking, I really need to take that urgent phone call. And also in the UK, at least, we're talking about you have to switch to EE. It's going to be £25 extra a month. There's 25? Not enough, yeah, not enough extra value there for wow, me. That's a lot. Five I, thought, extra. I thought it was £5 extra a month on uh, top of a tariff. Maybe. Except you're wrong, Blanford. Yeah. Okay. I'll accept I'm wrong. Okay. But nevertheless, it's more money for no more data. It's just the money for a virtual SIM. It is. I want eSIMs in everything. I want multiple phones. I want everything to ring. But we'll talk about that in a future episode. Okay, we should move on. But before we get to the topic of the day, we need to talk about this season's challenge. Rafe Blanford, do you want to tell us what the challenge is? This challenge was all about cryptocurrency and seeing who could win for making money and other various challenges. Yes, so you and McLeod, this season, because it's not just about who can spend the most money, you're not going to cheat and you're not going to win. You didn't win last time, but you're definitely not going to win this time. I think I think I have won most times. Um, and You've I won zero it, times and cheated every time. Well, Those are the important I think metrics. I, the, you, you characterize it as cheating. I was doing some really good research with the, the mobile challenge. I think, that was, I think yeah. the audience backed me up on that. Yeah. I wasn't cheating. Officer is the, uh, <laughs> no, the way I, you end I, that sentence. I think the Ewan's approach is rule redefinition. Exactly, yeah. So... What we're going to do this season is we're going to look at cryptocurrencies because they are very interesting mm. and very popular at the moment, but still baffling as far as I'm concerned. Mm. Now, we should just say lots of people are using cryptocurrencies to speculate and to make money. And we will look at that and we will be seeing if we can do that. But nothing that follows is investment advice. Do not risk your money on the basis of what we are doing. Don't do it. Everything we do in this season okay. will be with amounts of money we have decided to play with and are willing to lose. Blow. Yeah. The risk of fraud as well is also high, and we will be learning about that as we go. In addition, though, to who can put money into cryptocurrencies and see it go up, what other things are we going to do with this? You, McLeod? Well, we're going to try, and I don't really know how to do this yet, we're going to try and buy stuff, right? Real physical and stuff. Real things, or I suppose online things, but I think extra points to physical things i I suspect but it it is going to be really interesting to see what places accept bitcoin Uh, i presume we're talking bitcoin or ethereum or it it doesn't matter are we we limiting it i think we're going to do all cryptocurrencies we're going to wait for rafe just to make the rules up as we go along so he wins is that the well i don't think rafe has ever won before either as well no no we're going to do all Mm. cryptocurrencies but part of that i think will be finding interesting ones so bitcoin is the one that everyone knows about Mm. and Ethereum has had a lot of coverage in the press as well, and we'll talk about what they are later on in the series, but there are other cryptocurrencies out there. And what other things could we try and do with cryptocurrencies, Rafe? You're assuming that I've done lots of research already and thought about this very carefully, but I thought the other thing we're trying to do is actually how do you use it in the real world? Can you link it to some kind of debit card and make it usable for kind of the average person to become Mm. useful? Yep, yep. So we're definitely going to have to find out how to buy it, how to sell it, how to exchange it, where you can do that. We're going to try and buy things with it. 
We're going to try and do interesting things with it. Ethereum, particularly, I understand, isn't just a cryptocurrency. You can actually use it to do things. So smart contracts. Well, well I, yes. I mean, I know those words, but I don't know what that means. So we'll try and find out what that means. And we'll be looking at more besides. So if you've got any good ideas about how to uh, challenge the team to use cryptocurrencies, then please drop us a line. 361podcast.com has all the contact details. So just before we uh, move on, though, let's just level up. Who has got any cryptocurrencies at the moment? I have some Bitcoin. You have some Bitcoin? I think I bought 100 GBP, 100 pounds of Bitcoin oh, sometime last year. Just as an experiment, just to play with it. And it was one of the most dodgiest processes. I had to wire money to some guy's Barclays account. Really dodgy. Yeah, it, it was not fun. Right, so you and McLeod is currently being investigated by some financial regulator now. <laughs> it is, it's, a, it's a genuine concern, right? So I, I made sure it's £100 worth. It's a, you know, it's a token amount because it is a slight concern given that I'm working in the financial industry. I don't want to hold too much of this because a lot of people misunderstand it, yeah. really misunderstand it. And a lot of people are using it for nefarious purposes. So I've had a bit, I've had a bit of a play with it. And I'm going to have a bit more of a play, but I haven't yet got around to doing anything serious with it, Rafe Blanford. I've made a very informed and sensible decision not to speculate in the market at the moment because it is so volatile. There we go. Okay. So it's actually nothing to do okay. with the fact I haven't got around to it yet. Okay. So the first, the first challenge before we do any other follow-up is next week, come back here having acquired some cryptocurrency. Rafe, for you, that's any cryptocurrency, Ewan, for you, that's yeah, something yeah. different to what you more already have. Different? Uh, yeah. Well, it could be more okay. of what you've already got, but actually I would imagine oh, there's yeah, yeah, okay. bonus points for doing something more imaginative. So you've got Bitcoin, why don't you get a different yeah. one? And okay. I, will, I will do the same. But I, what I will do is I will not use the account that I've made and opened up. I'll try and do a fresh one so I can talk about what it's like to try and buy some. And points for buying it either in a user-friendly way or a creative way. And can we just ask the audience as well? I think we're really going to lean, if we can at all possibly, lean on the audience here. If you know what you're talking about in cryptocurrency, we'd all very much welcome your suggestions. Absolutely. Okay, we should move on to the topic of the day, which is very, very timely, having just talked about shady financial dealings. We're going to talk about the shadiest things that apps have ever done. We haven't talked about security really on the podcast for ages, and I think it's time for a bit of a catch-up. So, we thought it was uh, an interesting topic, and particularly now that, I don't know about you, but apps pretty much run my life. There is much yeah. of a way to steal my data or to rob me of the things I value mm. as a computer or anything ever was. So let's kick off then. Let's just do a quick survey. Ewan, what's the yeah. shadiest thing you're aware of an app ever having done? And so the most outrageous in recent, well, a while ago memory, was actually just the, the uploading of your entire contacts database by many different apps. I remember that was the first one I encountered that did that to me. It was Path, which is a, a failed, right, Path, failed yeah. social network. Has, has it actually failed yet? Or is it Deadpool yet? Or is it? I, I think the app still exists, but I don't think it's a social network anymore. I think it pivoted. Right. Like he says doing bunny ears. Oh, I see. You know. Okay, right. Gotcha. You see, that really bothered me a lot. But it wasn't just them. There's many, many different providers have done that. And I get really, really annoyed when I find out that it's done it in the background without telling me. Other yeah. people, you know, using your service. Oh, geez, that's annoying. I think I'd actually extend that as I'm willing to let it do it if I give it permission 
to kind of match against contacts who might already be using the service and tell me about it, what is definitely unacceptable is for them to send out messages apparently from me inviting people to join the service. And that's the Mm. particular behavior that I found really shady. And again, there's a danger here that this is going to be an Android bashing episode because, you know, we all... Are we, are we all massive iPhone fans? I mean, Rafe Blanford certainly is rocking the full Apple suite here. He's, there's not a Windows phone in sight, and you and you, you love well, it. I, I've, I've got I, 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 my primary, primary is the uh, iPhone, but I have a uh, Huawei and a Samsung. I recall that Android and iPhone, shortly after those early incidents, implemented sort of permission screens to say, you know, will you let us do this? Will you let us access the camera? Yes. Will you let us access the contacts? But I noticed that I find... Android is worse at presenting that screen of, hey, I'd like 19 different privileges, please, and I don't really mm, understand what mm. they are. And yes, 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 just make the button go away and make the app do the thing that I want. I think that was true of Android and sort of version 6, but in 7 and 8, it's got a lot better in the way it presents. So good emissions. then that Android makes it so easy to upgrade your device. Oh, no, the other thing that they never, ever upgrade devices. Okay, that, that, that's fair <laughs> enough, but I think that kind of more granular permissions is certainly coming, and that was kind of actually a platform level shady thing that permissions were so generic or came without descriptions it was hard for some people to say what am i actually granting it permission to do and something that's kind of obvious around location but even the distinction between location while the app's on and location that's kind of always on while the phone's awake has been a problem so actually i would you know put up permissions in general seem to be quite user-hostile as a way of managing these things because I would actually want apps to just behave in the right way. And it kind of seems like a funny request, but the attitude seems to be grant permission, ask forgiveness later, whereas I'd really like it to be the other way around in that I want them to only do it when it's absolutely necessary. Well, one of the things I wanted to remind you, Ben, of is, is a while ago, three, four, maybe five seasons ago at least, you pointed something out to me that really astonished me in regards to LinkedIn, that something about the app was using, or the service was using an outgoing mail server. What was that about? That was LinkedIn intro, which it gave you like um, intelligence, like a CRM on your contacts. You know, it told you who you were emailing, told you their contact details. It was really smart. It's like some of those add-ins you get for Gmail, which sits in the right-hand panel and says... Reportive. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah you spoke to this person ages ago and this is their job and this is their job title and this is your connection to them on LinkedIn. But the way they did this on mobile was by intercepting your email and routing it through their email servers so that they could see who you were emailing. And yes, I was ever so slightly dubious that you were going, I've just given LinkedIn all of my email and all my details. Mm, You were emailing mm. me. So like you gave them my email address. Ta, thanks for that, by the way. (laughs) So yeah. No, I'd forgotten about that when we did that research because like just, Imagine the process that went on in LinkedIn's office, which was a whole group of people sat down and went, oh, it's really hard to build a view of people's social graph on mobile because the ecosystems are so locked down. What could we do? Oh, if only we could see that email. Bingo, I know. And then they went from that all the way through to building, testing, and marketing it to people before somebody in the IT security department went, uh, are you sure? Is that a good idea? Mm. Hmm. That was amazing. Now, that was a few years ago. 2013 is the article I was just reading about that. But it's such an interesting point, this, because so many of the freemium services offer this basically trade-off where you give up some data 
in return for getting the service. And I think Google are really the past master at this. And they've changed the policy with Gmail over the years in terms of kind of scanning your email and selling advertising against. And obviously, pretty much all of the big services do something similar to this. I think it becomes a problem when it's not clearly disclosed that that's happening. And there's definitely kind of a spectrum of opinion on that about what you do. I think one of the shadier versions that I've seen specific to the app world is free VPNs being given away in the app store and then being used by companies to gather intelligence about the data that's passed across your phone. And let's give two examples. Go on then, you go, you go first. So mm-hmm. go I'll on. start with the one that I know App Annie used this tactic in order to work out what apps people are using on the phone. And this really comes from the fact that on iOS, it's no longer possible to work out what other people have installed in terms of apps on the phone. It is still possible on Android devices. And of course, you can't really tell much about frequency of use. But because most apps are phoning home or sending some kind of data signal out, obviously the VPN can pick up on that. And actually, you can use this to fingerprint what apps are being used. And I only mentioned App Annie because they've talked about doing this, but there are actually quite a number of other market research companies that are out there collecting data in this way. And anyone who's offering kind of big insights about app usage or app pattern behavior, they're almost certainly using this tactic. And while they may disclose it in kind of the small print of these VPN apps, I think most people would be somewhat horrified to learn that data that they're kind of giving away and actually just how much it can tell people about them. And, you know, that goes into your profile. It can be advertising and everything else. But there's another company that does that as well, isn't there, Ben? What's worse than an app analytics company having access to all your data is Facebook having access to all your data. And um, a few years ago, Facebook bought Anavu, who are a VPN app. And if I recall right, they also did clever data compression and things like that. There was supposed to be a a saving, you know, they improved the streaming of videos and all this kind of stuff. If I recall, it was marketed around sort of being very particular to mobile users. Facebook bought them and continued running it as a business. And it emerged relatively recently that they were doing a lot of analytics on the user's data and that they've spotted market trends there. So it wasn't just around what you were using, but also how you were using different apps. And Mm. this is relatively mainstream reporting now has it from a couple of sources. So, you know, it's not confirmed, but it's reasonably likely that some of the WhatsApp acquisition was shaped in part by their observations of people using chat and messenger applications around that time. And they were able to, you know, not just have data to shape their services, but actually to make massive acquisitions. And, you know, the WhatsApp and Instagram purchases were absolutely colossal by Facebook. And there's also some suspicion that kind of the, if I can say, duplication of the Snapchat features into Instagram and other apps have been driven by observations around that you know, usage in Snapchat itself. I think, you know, clearly it's not necessarily spying on a personal level, but that kind of collective data is incredibly valuable. And so to me, this feels just a little bit shady. I mean, in one sense you go, okay, it's a clever move to collect that kind of data, but obviously it's not one that third-party apps would choose to give up to Facebook or anyone like like that. Never, ever use a free VPN. So I use one called encrypt.me what used to be called Get Cloak or Cloak Mm. that you started off as a VPN service for Macs and iOS devices but I think they've expanded to Windows and they rebranded recently and they make a big play of the fact that you pay for the service 
there's no data inspection or anything. They are a VPN service to protect you, not to collect data. And I think they've got a good track record, although there are other ones out there. I think TunnelBear is quite popular as well. Yeah, and it's interesting. I mean, obviously watch out for if an acquisition happens, because clearly that happened with uh, Anava in the case of uh, Facebook. But actually, it's a general piece of advice around shady apps. If it's doing something for free that has some genuine value or cost attached to it, they will be having to claw that back somewhere else. Uh, It kind of sounds obvious, but there are plenty of apps and services that are following that model. And actually, that business model in general has become increasingly popular because the cost to using them is effectively hidden from the user if it's not a direct transaction. I'm not sure how much we can call it shady, though. Can I move on to my pet? Can I my pet pet hate? Yes, please. And I invite you gentlemen to have pet hates as well. My pet hates stupid password policies. Yep. Either Uh, preventing you from using a password manager. And on mobile apps really ought to be using the SDKs that the popular password managers make available so that you can do one click integration to get a password out of the password manager. And they certainly shouldn't ever on web or on apps be preventing pasting passwords in. Essentially, the stupid password policies to begin with, you know, 19 characters, you need three capital letters, four numbers, five exclamation marks, a boo emoji, three hashtags, (laughs) and um, it can be between this many and this many characters because it just doesn't work. This whole fallacy that making it very hard to type is in any way more secure is complete nonsense now. No, exactly. The major threats to passwords are not intercepting it or work or devising it out by brute strength and uh, it's really interesting actually in the uk the ncsc so that's the bit of gchq that advises on cyber security that's the national cyber security center has published a really good set of guidance that basically says make passwords simple use different passwords for every service and use long words or use phrases and don't insist on huge complexity because it doesn't add any value what you need to do is, is use a password manager and to use things that you know you can either remember or store securely, and actually that all of the uh, silly restrictions make things worse, not better. Yeah, it's interesting. Similarly, in the states, there's been sort of some change to the uh, guidelines, and actually, the person who originally came up with this idea of using kind of special characters and punctuation in your <laughs> passwords to sort of say how much he kind of regrets it. And actually, there's been some studies done that say it's effectively more secure to have someone memorize four or five words i have a very long password because that will be just as hard for an attacker to kind of brute force or to guess as to you know replacing you know a question mark replaces an i or something like that yeah and similarly the kind of pattern to force you to update your password every 90 days the recommendation now is don't do that because of course inevitably most people just end up adding a one to the end or you know, cycling through the same list of passwords, it just makes it more difficult for them. Remember, they're more likely to write it down. I mean, I would add an addendum to this, that particularly for smartphones, you've now got some biometric built into a lot of the handsets. Therefore, if you're building an app, you should absolutely be using Android imprint or Touch ID. And while those things are... Or Face ID. Or Face ID, thank you, Ben. Yeah, Or indeed, you know, once those things start becoming available in browser, you know, I think that will save a lot of hassle. Clearly, that's not fully there at the moment. Apple Pay and Android Pay allow that kind of behavior for payments. You know, along with your integrate with the password managers, whether that's Dashlane, OnePassword, 
card or whatever you choose, that ability to just do a fingerprint is, is absolutely there. Mm. And uh, the corollary to that is don't do kind of falsely secure things. And I know, Ben, you've had this recently where there was this kind of two-factor authentication, seemingly, but it wasn't as two-factor as it turned out. Well, yes, I love two-factor authentication. It does genuinely seem like a good idea. Although I have a theory about a third factor, like uh, with the advent of complicated cameras on my phone, I think that we're going to get to, what is it, something you know, something you have and something you can do. I'm going to be in front of my phone doing an impression or, you know, trying to do a handstand or something. Yeah. For the benefit of people listening to this on audio, Ben has just been doing a little dance in front of his microphone, which was um, not at all uh, all horrifying. But two factor is great. But if your two-factor is sending a push notification or a text message to the mobile device on which I am trying to enter, that's not two-factor because I already have the phone. So it's supposed to be something I know and something I have. The phone can't be both the token and the way I access the app. So Mm. I jump through all kinds of hoops logging into Office 365, as it turns out, which insists in some cases on sending app notifications as a security factor, but it sends them to the device you're trying to use. So well, yes. well, well done, Microsoft. So, gentlemen, <laughs> any other pet hates in that regard? I've got one. I think we've kind of mentioned it a little bit in terms of location. I get really annoyed when app developers, they only give you the choice of you can either give your location always or not at all. I like to use the when you're using the app selection. So when I run the app, yes, of course, you can check my location. But when I'm not running it, I don't expect you to be looking at my location. And I don't enjoy it when you only have the choice. Because I think the developer can specify, you know, the choice is always on or not. Is that still the case in iOS 11? Do you know? Um, I believe it's got more granular now. Yeah, Mm, mm. I think it has. But certainly with Android in particular, and I'm not having a pop, there's with so many older handsets out there, you know, this design decision of several years ago is still relevant to lots and lots of users who are on older operating system versions. And if we're going to talk about Android, we should probably talk about the fact there is a fundamental philosophical difference between iOS and Android at the moment with Apple trying to play the card of we're doing the best things for privacy and security by doing everything locally on the device. And, you know, they generally are taking that method, but they're doing it for a reason, whereas Google is much more about kind of, if I call it dumb glass and smart cloud, whereas Apple is more like smart glass, dumb cloud. Google is taking that approach because it's where its strengths lie. But there is something that I think people need to be aware of, and that applies to a lot of the Google and Apple apps, respectively. But if we're talking about kind of shady things that apps do, then you get into things that are just basically anti-patterns. And what I mean by that is increasingly common ways of doing things that have become accepted, either because they're just the standard way you do things. And Actually, an overabundance of push notifications is probably one of my pet hates mm. without any way to dial them up and down. And some apps I'm always willing to get a push notification from. You know, I, I like to see the BBC breaking news, but I certainly don't want every story pushed to me, which is what some publishers choose to do. And so no mm. fine control over that is one of the things that gets to me. But there are any number of other things. I think probably some of the things are actually more through inattention to detail than anything else so for example when i install a new version of the app if it makes me log in again that is very Ugh. irritating that inability Isn't to preserve data and of course you are now used to some apps that take advantage of the cloud and therefore will sync between devices and actually you'll get your data yes. or even in some cases sign on just happen 
or there's multiple apps from one company on the device and you don't have to sign in again. That helps. That's you know, quite it, fun. I like that. Yeah. Does that well. So that kind of idea of single sign on, but also sharing of data across devices, that for me now has become the kind of accepted standards. That's what I expect to happen. So when an app doesn't do that or breaks something in an update cycle, that's particularly distressing. So it's almost that kind of life cycle management of my identity and the data associated with that app. So I can't exactly call it shady behavior. It's just, you know, you're not offering me the experience I expect. And so I do think there's been a pretty good job from platform providers on kind of shutting down the really shady behavior, but you still get things falling through the cracks. And I think the big one we haven't really mentioned is apps being taken over by someone else and being updated with effect what's malware inside them. And that can be uh, things like click fraud for advertising. And there's a couple of recent examples of that in the Android world. And to Ben's point, Android does seem to suffer from this more. It's not, there are examples on iOS as well. And actually some of these are very popular utility applications. You know, the recent spate of it with uh, file explorers and kind of utility applications on Android. And so, you know, when you download an app, there is almost a contract of trust with the developer that they're not going to do mm. something in an update that's kind of shady. They're not going to include a new thing. And so I think there was a recent one with EZ File Explorer that then included something called Battery Boost you know, purported to increase your battery life, but in fact was basically doing ad fraud on the back end by submitting fake clicks and ad impressions. And of course, with some of these applications stored on, you know, tens or even hundreds of millions of devices, and with a lot of people sending auto-update on their applications, they just appear, they will then run in the background or something will happen. And that to me is the kind of really shady behavior because that's some, yeah. a deliberate business decision that someone's taken and, you know, we've seen it on the desktop with the kind of bundling of various browser toolbars and, you know, the Alexa toolbar always used to be a bit of a candidate for that. And also kind of Yahoo toolbar as well, or some of the antivirus products taking over your browser. To me, that mm. same thing is happening on mobile. And I find that quite distressing. Yeah, I was interested in the way that the web has now perhaps become more of a vector for mobile threats as well. So there was an mm. interesting article recently uh, Gizmodo covered it but it, was, it, it went wider as well about a firm that built a toolkit which captured data in forms before you submitted it so if you were presented with a transaction and you started to complete yeah. your details or your email address or something like that but then you decided to abandon your cart perhaps the process was too hard or you got some more details about a deal where you decided you didn't want to buy there was JavaScript in the page submitting all the data as you entered it to the company. So you'd say, oh, well, I haven't actually signed up for an account. They don't have my details. Well, you did because you started to type into the screen. And that was, yeah. that was fascinating. And certainly with desktop browsers, now there are more availability of sort of blockers and security toolbars that can sort of protect you from rogue JavaScript injected into pages, be it actually malicious or these just more hostile marketing tools. But in mobile, it's harder to do. And I mean, Safari and things like that do have content blocking in them now, but it's harder to see what's going yeah. in in the background. I mean, just less screen real estate. And make no mistake, this happens in apps as well. So a lot of um, service providers are now providing live chat in their apps. And a number mm. of those will actually transmit the kind of text that you're writing before you actually press the send button. And it's actually held up as a way for the kind of uh, support work on the other end to start writing the response before you've actually submitted it so you get a speedier response and there's a you know good argument to be made why that's a good idea in terms of you know time to answer and therefore the efficiencies 
involved. But on the other hand, I think most people would have an expectation that any text that you start writing doesn't get submitted until you hit the send button. And I'm sure we've all been in situations where you're writing a WhatsApp or a text message, you start writing it and then you think, yeah, actually, no, I'm not going to send that. I'm going to be more diplomatic or more polite in my choice of language. So next time you're doing a live chat support with your electricity provider and you're sending one that says, I just want to change my direct debit right now, it will say that. So you should put the please in the first time, not as an afterthought. <laughs> Ever the gentleman, Rafe Blanford. Okay, right. We should probably wrap up there. I think we are nearly over time. I think I'm going to do a thing. What's that? I'm going to plug a blog post I wrote. You did? I wrote, I wrote a blog post. Okay. I didn't notice that. I, I know. A long, long, t- oh, a little while ago. I mean, like, not recently. I, really, I don't, don't get oh, why. Oh, okay. Sorry. Yeah, phew, I know. But we've talked a lot in this episode about the problems and not much about the answers. And I had a particular problem about apps that I wanted to use wanting access to all of my Dropbox. So Dropbox, obviously, an online file syncing service, which is fantastic. I use it loads, loads of apps integrate to it online mm. or through mobile. It's a great way to have them send or receive or process files. But the terrible apps insist on having access to all of your files. And just because they want you to send me a graphic or upload me a picture doesn't mean I'd also like you to have access to all my finances and my photos and all my documents and my letters and correspondence and whatever other stuff I put on Dropbox. And even if I'm cautious about what I put on Dropbox, I'm just not going to give you more data than is needed. So I wrote about a technique for using multiple Dropbox accounts and sharing between them in a way that you could construct your own security mechanism to keep data safe, even when you want to use an app that can only access all of a Dropbox. And the example case in point was, I've got a Fujitsu ScanSnap scanner, which when I run a document through, uploads it to Dropbox for me and does some clever things, that will only access all of my Dropbox and patently Fujitsu software quality. That's a bit annoying. Not such that I want to give them access to all of that. So uh, go to uh, bensmith.uk and uh, if if you're a user of Dropbox services and you've had that problem, it's a little guide on how to do that. There you go. I've done a blog post. You can read it. Lovely. Rafe Blanford is nodding sagely. Okay, we should wrap up. Thank you very much to Mark at audiowrangler.co.uk for making this sound battery smooth. Thank you to our friends at Digitas LBI for providing our studio facilities and access to Rafe Blanford. We should say thank you to all the Patreon subscribers. Thank you very much for your support. It enables us to fund the equipment and running costs of the show and some of the things we're going to do in the future. And we will be back next week talking about cryptocurrency purchasing. And we will be talking about fintechs and fintech startups as well. So if you're interested in clever mobile banks, come back next week. If you'd like to contribute to the show, give us any feedback on the things we've said, any suggestions on what we should do cryptocurrency-wise, any security tips on how to stay safe with mobile or warnings about things that are dodgy, you can find us at 361podcast.com. There's ways to email us publicly and privately there. Or you can find us on Twitter at 361podcast. We're also on Facebook and LinkedIn, but don't, really, don't, just don't. Okay, we'll be back next week. Gentlemen, bye-bye.